Undoing the Common Podcast. This is background noise from Undoing, a podcast about entrepreneurs, for entrepreneurs, and by entrepreneurs. We keep the conversations real, raw, uncut, and complete with all the background noise. You could say Brody Thomas is undoing the common beverage, hence the name Uncommon Cider. Entrepreneurs are dreamers, but they're also steadfast when it comes to principles. Making cider is Brody's art form, working towards his masterpiece with every lovingly crafted batch. So pull up a bar stool. This is Background Noise. if not unsurprising that while other kids in Surrey, B.C. were setting up Kool-Aid stands, Brody Thomas was hawking apples. Decades later, while craft breweries are everywhere, he is Alberta's first craft urban cidery. We could do a whole series of podcasts on the burgeoning Barley Belt, a nickname given to Calgary's Manchester Industrial Park, due to its strange gravitational pull to makers of spirits, beer, wine, and for Brody Thomas, apple cider. Now, cider is a growing category of alcoholic beverage, but in true rebel entrepreneur fashion, Brody likens the most common of them to juice boxes, big on sweeteners, but low on apples. And this is his unbreakable rule of cider making, apples in, sweeteners out. Everything else is fair game as he plays around with process, flavor profiles, and the peculiar nuances of each type of apple. He arrived a little early one morning to his laboratory to jump on a Zoom call, and we'll hear him geek out about his craft after my partner, Mark Boivin, and I break down the learnings from this uncommon entrepreneur. The thing that I keyed on was more the uncommon thing and the use of un and how it sort of tied into us and undoing. Very, very passionate about the product, about how it's made and, and, and the differences. And, it, and I think that's going to be the key for them is to really talk about this as being less of a, some sort of an alternative of a lesser kind of beer to something that's a unique category in and of itself. Is that the sense that you got? Yeah, he's totally passionate and very approachable. And I think he's trying to make cider kind of an authentic cider to be an approachable beverage as well. As someone with celiac disease and who often seeks out alternatives to beer, cider has been my sort of go-to choice when I'm going on, you know, it's, it's summertime again and you're out for barbecues or something a little lighter than wine or, or a, um, a distilled beverage. I discovered him on Instagram, made a trip down there a couple months ago, met with him at a social distance, talked about coming on this podcast. And he, in fact, introduced me to Skunk Works which is a distillery of moonshine that we had on the, on the pro, uh, podcast a couple of weeks ago. And so I think he's big on collaborations. He wants to do something with them. He has done something with another one of the distilleries down there. It was through Faye and Marty at Skunk Works who told me things about Brody that I didn't know and told me things about other companies down there. There's going to be a winery down there as well. And there's, I think, a total of 12 of these alcoholic beverage producers in that and now you can kind of get the association with the nickname barley belt so there's a whole lot of collaboration i think on his part shows that entrepreneurial curiosity he's never satisfied with the batch he's got more curiosity with apples than i think newton did so he dives (laughs) into 
you know, the study of each and every type of apple and is trying to bring out the nuance of, of them. So this is his art. And he, he's also one of those entrepreneurs that didn't really see a missing. He just sort of followed a personal passion. And whether it's COVID luck, if that's a term I can use, or, or just the fact that it's breaking through as a trend, he ended up doing better with sales during these last couple of months than he would have otherwise. Yeah. And I mean, who knows, COVID related or not. I mean, I think anything that people can consume at home, it, you know, the whole joke early on about our increased uh, purchases, not just of toilet paper, but things like alcohol and those types of things. I mean, some of that is chance and happenstance, but I think the thing that comes across from me uh, about Brody specifically is a real, not just curiosity of the world around him, but a real understanding of that external environment, something that's key in marketing very early on is to understand what do you got, what's out there, uh, what are sort of people's perceptions, and then how do you break through that? And that's what he's trying to do with this category. And that's, you know, that's his awareness of other companies. Because sometimes we've talked to entrepreneurs and some are aware to a certain extent of competitors. Some, when we give up ideas for collaboration, they go, oh, that might be a good idea. Whereas he seems to be on the ball with a lot of the stuff. He already is collaborating with who he wants to and is very aware of what's going on. And I, I think particularly I liked his idea of anybody who wants to come and find out more how to run um, you know, a cider company like he is, he's happy to do it because he realizes the benefit that everybody in the industry gets, the more legitimized it gets once you have more competition out there. So I thought that's, there's some really, I'll just say it, uncommon things that he was doing about, you know, about the competitive positioning, the external market analysis and stuff like that. So what would you say sort of is the, the, what, the takeaway you get from this? I like, I like the point that you brought up that he's more than willing to mentor others that want to learn the craft. It, it reminded me in a way of something quite uncommon and unorthodox that Elon Musk did with uh, the sharing of Tesla's patents years ago in order to build the electric car category. Now, we're, we're not talking about the same thing. We're not really comparing apples with apples, you might say here. But there you go. There's, there's a definite mentality with him that if he's going to be successful it has to come with others so i love that about his spirit and certainly about his, his um, commitment to perfecting that batch and the one thing i'll leave you with is something that what is it now we're we're recording this on june the second he expects that that first batch of calgary made cider so cider made exclusively from calgary crab apples and apple trees um, which were harvested and brought to him in 2018, are in the bottles and ready to be labeled and should be available within the week. So that's kind of exciting. I never knew that Calgary had the climate to grow apples, and I guess that's why there's crab apples mixed in there, but mm -hmm. certainly showing um, a civic pride as well. There's a, a lot to learn from somebody who is so willing to collaborate, so curious about his craft, so interested in moving forward. And oftentimes we've been you know, you spend a lot of time these times thinking retrospectively what you'd like to do. What are you going to be like on the other end of all of this? And this is somebody who's living it. So why don't we have a listen? Let's get into his tap room. So my name is Brody Thomas. I'm uh, the founder of Uncommon Cider, which is Alberta's first craft cidery here in Calgary, Alberta. Uh, we're located in the Barley Belts, which is kind of a, a hub of, of uh, breweries, distilleries, and uh, one cidery in a winery um, 
And uh, yeah, it's a pretty cool little community right here. I've spoken about this recently on a previous podcast on Skunk Works. And, and we're going to get into the community because it was through you personally upon a visit to Uncommon that I heard about Skunk Works's proximity to you. And you kind of gave me a background as a true Barley Belt ambassador like you just did. So I, I thank you for that. Skunk Works thanks you for that because I think I spent some money there as well. And, they're uh, great. And their product's good too. So it helps. Yeah. Hey, speaking of which, has there ever been a mix of, um, of uh, an uncommon product with Skunk Works product? No, not yet. Um, I, something that we want to do as well. Um, I think they're looking at doing like a Caesar um, like mix. And with that, they're, um, they're using, they're going to use Marigold manufacturing, which is Tim who I talked about, like hot sauce, I'm pretty sure. So that's, that's the only connection there, but I'd really like to do something with them. Um, at some point. The collaboration world is alive and kicking in craft and particularly down there in Manchester. So um, Brody, I want to just jump back a bit because you mentioned when you, when you described Uncommon, you described it as something unique and original. I just wanted to poke around that um, topic a little bit. Tell me about that. Yeah, of course. Uh, so yeah, when I first kind of started Uncommon, um, Again, like I've been kind of bootstrapping this from from day one, and it's been a, a very long process for me to get to like where I am today. And the first two years, I uh, I actually did it via like contracting um, at a friend's salary in Summerland. Um, and then the next two years, I actually managed to bring all like use all their their equipment, uh, their license, um, went out and pressed fruits like apples and and fermented there, and then shipped. Uh, the product like bottle product to Alberta so it was you know a founded in Calgary but it wasn't like a fully Alberta product at the time um, but uh, with it was with the intention of, of coming here and then after those two years I was able to find a space in a in a brewery using my own equipment but their license because um, they had a huge facility um, so I got to take a corner and and finally at that point like I was officially like the first craft cidery in Alberta and uh, which I I kind of get is weird because there really isn't any orchards here. Um, so, you know, you have to still source your fruit, but predominantly from BC, but, uh, but I think it's worthwhile to, you know, really kind of work on that local aspect. Um, you know, Alberta is known for, for its great uh, grain and barley, uh, but we do have like some great like trees in and around the community to, to use, but ultimately you really have to use the stuff from, from BC. That would make sense for sure from a pure supply chain and scalability level, but you have um, played around a little bit with locally grown apples. Yeah. So that's like, I was always one of kind of our tent poles of, of uncommon and kind of how, how I kind of started, I decided journey here in Calgary. Um, I lived in the UK for five years and kind of got into it there. But then when I came back here, I kind of gave up on the whole idea um, just because there wasn't orchards here and there wasn't really a huge, you know, there wasn't a cider community and um, um, kind of, it wasn't until later when someone, I realized like, Oh my gosh, there's like crab apples and apple trees everywhere. Like as soon as you start looking, you'll like, you'll always see them. It's one of those hilarious things. So I started making cider uh, using a, a stainless steel garburetor that I bought from the series right as it was closing at Chinook mall and um, built a, 
like a really janky press out of like two by sixes and a car jack. Um, and uh, I made like, I think it was like 50 gallons of cider the first year. Um, and it was just out of, in my backyard and it was a lot of fun. And it was, you know, years and years later until like this kind of turned into something. But, uh, but from that kind of first bit of realizing how much fruit there was here in Calgary, um, I realized that we, you know, there was, we really should be using it and it just goes to waste and drops and gets up in a landfill or in the compost. And, um, and so since we finally got our, we started here, we've been kind of doing our, our kind of apple drive every year. So uh, we're finally launching our like 2018 uh, cider, which is all Calgary um, crab apples and apples. Um, and it's, uh, it's being bottled actually this coming week. So I'm pretty excited. This is going to be like, will be our first release, but we have a 2017 that's, um, that's almost finished. And then we also have like the 2019 as well. So, um, and then we've teamed up with a charity to, to really get back to, to the community because we're getting all this fruit that's been donated by Calgarians and people dropping it off at, at drop off points and at the cidery. And so we've teamed up with the food bank. So, uh, you know, a big portion of all that goes back to them. Well, there's way too many topics in there to uh, pick apart. I, I don't know where to start. And it should be known that as a celiac, I think you mentioned how when you start looking for something, that selective perception kicks in and you see it everywhere. So mm-hmm. you know, for my adult life, I've been looking for alternatives to beer. And so anything that, that speaks cider, I'm on. And because of our corporate name, Undoing, anything that talks about doing things differently, I'm all over as well. So Uncommon Cider was a perfect fit philosophically for me. And mm-hmm. when I went and visited with you the first time, you kind of gave me the, the Coles Notes of Worship and, and you have done here as well. But I'm, I'm curious about a few things. First of all, we have to go back to this do-it-yourself press that you invented in your backyard using a car jack without getting into all the nuts and bolts. Was that the first time that, that you had you know, done anything on your own using your own do-it-yourself equipment? Uh, yeah, for, for cider, that's for sure. Um, and, and how did I'd, it work? In the past, I'd borrowed other people's equipment, but... Uh, sure. Yeah. So is, is cider different? I mean, cider is different than, than beer in many ways, I'm sure. But mm-hmm. is it the, the pressing of cider that makes it uh, the process of making cider... Um, along with the flavor profile, of course, the difference does it it ferments in a different way? How does that work? Uh, it's it's kind of like a multiple of of things. So one one kind of the apple selection for sure. So like even before you press, you kind of have to like understand what each apple variety or what type of apples are giving you know the different characteristics to the cider, or even just to the juice before it's uh, it's fermented. And then the ripeness of the fruit is super important. So, you know, it's, it's been super interesting to kind of go through the journey and find some fruit that like you pick it and it, it looks like it should be really ripe and it's terrible. And then you forget about it cause it's in a, a bin um, or in some milk crates and like a week or two later, it's like sweated and not molded, but like, you know, kind of just slowly been like breaking down a bit and, and then it's like actually creates great juice. So, which is very much a, like an English style. Like they, they throw all their fruit, um, in silos and then leave it for up to a month and let the like, kind of the apples do their thing and then press it. Um, for me, it, it, a lot of it has to do with like 
no, some, some of it has to do with pressing, but like even that press wasn't that efficient. So we were probably getting, you know, maybe 50% um, of a yield from, from the fruit. Like the, the pomace itself was still quite wet, but that, that was just because we were literally using a bucket and a car jack and pieces of wood to press down on it. So, you know, you can only get so much. That sounds uh, like and then I, I hope you have some pictures of that. Oh yeah, I do actually. Um, and I, funnily enough, um, Tim, who's doing production, kind of head of production now was like, was there during that first like journey. We all look super young too. So, you know, <laughs> yeah, well, it, was, it was a while ago. Age, I've heard. Um, <laughs> So, I mean, you, you heard my personal interest in it. What was yours? What was your draw to cider as first as a, as a consumable beverage and then as an entrepreneurial pursuit? Um, there's a few, actually. So, uh, like I kind of touched on briefly, I lived in the UK for five years. And so where I was in England was down in the southwest in Cornwall. And Cornwall has uh, like phenomenal like orchards and cideries. and and it, and over there the like cider is like craft beer is here like it's very varied it's prevalent there's a lot of like really interesting producers and so i just kind of like truthfully started drinking a lot of it there um and uh and then i was working at on an estate uh, as a catering manager and like the the estate wardens were were big into making cider and they um they also had like an apple festival every year at the estate. So there'd be like 300 varieties of apples and some like real old boys that come in and start identifying apples that people would bring in uh, from the trees, trying to figure out what they were. And yeah, I just kind of fell in love with this whole idea of you have like one time a year to make something and uh, it's like a super seasonal product and, and it, it can taste like good. And it's not like that sickly juice boxy sweet kind of cider that I think everyone immediately thinks of um especially in western canada where like you get growers or okanagan and all that and you know it can be as complex as uh, like really good wine and and from there i kind of moved back here and realized that no one was doing it um started like making beer with uh with friends and really couldn't get my head around it like i don't don't know why but i just like can't figure out like oh if i add this type of grain to this you know you'll create this this different profile, but um, I really like kept that had that bug of making cider and kept buying books and kept kind of researching and 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 then kind of went from there and really recognized that even though I'm not a celiac, that I have a lot of friends that are and you know their their options are super limited um, and what what options there were were pretty like you know especially in like the gluten free beer world aren't awesome by any means uh, when it comes to you know a, a beer that you know like a that can be drank versus like a beer that's been made that here and and so for me i wanted to kind of bring that craft experience to more people and to show them that like yeah actually like you can you can drink something that's good and has like really great flavors and and also has a story on its own yours are dry 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 there's, there's is, a big is reason that, for is that, that just too. is that sort of like a criteria for a british cider um not a bit, but not particularly. Um, I think, you know, to kind of even take this step back into like how, how cider is made, um, no, not all cider is created equally. Um, and, and that's where, where my products differ from a lot of other places and a lot of cider that is made from at breweries. Like we're, 
you know, we use just straight at like I've grown contracts with seven to eight different orchards in the Okanagan and we, we get all the apples from them. We press them there and then we press all the local fruit here. We're using full juice. We're not adding water, like water. We're not getting in concentrate um, or anything like that. We're um, a lot of the bigger brands and especially like bigger ciders, like, um, like some summer's bee, which literally says apple flavored cider um, because they don't have enough apple in it to just consider it cider. Um, they're using concentrated like apple juice and then they're fermenting it to like a high ABV and then they're watering that back down to five to five and a half percent. Um, and so because there's not that much apple content or in there, you're having a very like thin, very watery product. And the way to kind of hide from that is like you up the acid and then you up the the, the sugar because sugar creates great moat feel and then it you know it kind of creates this kind of apple like juice box type drink um and the other option is to get apple wine which is you know 12 to 14 percent and then cut that with other stuff and then you have a five and a half percent cider as well so you know it, it's tough because like in the beer world it's like you know everyone has the, the same grain and all this and it, you know equipment might be very slightly but they still kind of are making the same product but in the cider world it's not that way at all it's like a lot of people are making stuff you know using concentrate or our higher alcohol stuff so that'd be like me buying like a barley wine from a brewery and then adding water to it and maybe some hops and then calling it a pale ale like it's really not going to taste like <laughs> compared to what it, a true pale ale is and that's kind of where why i kind of definitely kind of hear it on the side of like dry too just to to show that like you can have different flavors and also to, to kind of like plant that flag in the ground and saying like, Hey, we, you know, we aren't making just sweet things. Um, we will, like I, I've noticed just in the last couple of years, like our, our products have varied and we're getting more into like the sweeter side of things, but in a way that's balanced and, and not like over the top. Um, okay. Back to the, um, to the distinction of, of ciders. And I wanted to talk mm -hmm. about the, um, Sorry, ramble on there. Drive. Yeah, you, you said that that your 2018 harvest is just about to be released. So is that a typical aging process for a um? It kind of again, it depends on on the varieties of of the apples. So because Calgary is such um, like heavily have like we have so much crab apples. Um, crab apples need a lot more time because there's so much time in them to kind of like like mellow. So a really young, um, like cider that's been fermented just with crab apples is huge acidity, really quite like tight, rough tannins. It's like, um, drinking like quite a young, like tannin forward red wine that, you know, give it a couple of years or a year, it really kind of opens up and comes into its own. Um, this type of uh, fruit and this kind of type of cider is this, this kind of the same process. Um, we, we still haven't released the 2017 one. Um, it just hasn't really, it's not really ready yet, um, but we will. But, and then obviously 20, 2019s, hopefully we'll be ready, you know, maybe in the fall, but I, you know, I kind of don't put timelines on it. I I remember having people email me like three, you know, two months later being like, Oh, is it, is it ready? Is it released? And, you know, having to really explain like, no, this takes a long time. Like it's, it will be ready when it's ready in, in a lot of ways. So. Um, what for is me, the, is there a scientific litmus test to that or is it all on your tongue? Ultimately, it's just a lot of it does have to do with taste. Um, 
you know, there's a lot of science, but there's a lot of art to cider making. And then there's like a lot of cleaning. Um, so I think making cider is, you know, 70% cleaning things and maybe 10% cider making. Um, and I, um, I kind of learned soon into it that like the less intervention I did, the better the products I was making, um, which was kind of very uh, counterintuitive for me. Uh, it really taught me some patience because I wanted to be like, oh, something's not right. I need to fix this. And, and really like the only thing that needed to happen was time. And so, you know, in, in on Collins evolution, we've gone from like using specific yeast and, and like a multitude of different wine yeasts and other things and blending it from there to now kind of doing like full native fermentation. So we're, we're really kind of using all the natural yeast and bacteria that are on the skins of all the apples and letting them do their thing. And then trusting that we can blend and use the palettes that we have to create a product that is similar year on year, product release on product release. Um, but also showcasing that, you know, we're using an agricultural crop that will change and, and fruit is never the same. So. Is this apple nerdism of yours acquired because, or since you decided to go in this entrepreneurial direction or, or, you know, as a kid, did you always have an affinity for apples? Funnily enough, um, I don't know if, if it's as much apples or the idea of being a bit different to, you know, make money. So I, when I was grade three, uh, we were living in, in BC in the, in Surrey. And, you know, instead of having a lemonade stand on the corner, cause our house was like right on the corner, I decided I'd, um, it's I have an apple stand and it was the best business ever because my parents paid for the apples. we built the stand out of like wood. People would stop up and buy apples because I was like this blue eyed blonde haired small kid selling something that wasn't Kool-Aid. And then I'd pocket all the money and get my parents to buy more apples. So I like, there was never any, any like expenses. So it was great. But, would that kind of deal but, work with your current suppliers? Do you think? Unfortunately, no, um, it really doesn't. <laughs> so, you know, good, all good things have to come to an end. And that was, uh, you know, the first lesson in business is like nothing's ever free. Maybe draws a bit of a line between, you know, your first sort of entrepreneurial awareness to now and lo and mm -hmm. behold, there's apples involved on both sides of that spectrum. Let's talk about your specific <laughs> um, ciders and you make a lot of different ones. And I'm assuming this sort of changes because probably no two batches are completely alike. It's true. And, and we, you know, some things are limited by batch size as well. You know, we have X amount of tanks that we're using and we, we do blendings and uh, we kind of work within what our core kind of, we have core three products. So we have our dry, our hopped and our half scap. Um, and then from there we have like kind of core seasonals as well. And with that, you know, it, it's a lot of like just trying to what what tanks work with each. So some of them just, you know, are like earmarked for, for specific things. And, you know, even one tank was uh, was super like it was quite earthy. It was like kind of got like green pepper, like big earthy. And I it's just it's been sitting here and I'm like, oh, what am I going to do with this? Like, I'm not quite happy with it, but um but then I, like the plan was to, to kind of blend it with ginger and this other cider to kind of use that kind of that lower earthy note for, for like a ginger cider. Cause I felt like that would have actually helped, but as it's been 
um, maturing. It's actually like really mellowed out and it's quite, it's turning to like quite a good cider. So it's just, it's funny again, like it's one of those, like maybe just leave it a bit longer and see what happens. Um, As you scale and get bigger, how important is it that, that you uh, rally around one or two or three flagship styles and that those pretty much maintain their flavor profile. So if I buy a half dozen in October, it's going to taste the same as the half dozen I buy in January. Is that an important thing in cider or is, or is a cider crowd a little bit more experimental and not so uh, glued to familiarity? I think uh, the, the bad answer is that there's both in there. Like, you know, you have the, the cider crowd of people coming from kind of the craft beer world that are used to uh, different uh, releases and different like beers. Um, but you then have like the cider crowd that are coming from more commercialized ciders that kind of are expecting something to be the same no matter where they are in the world. Um, and, and so like, it's going to be a fine line. And I think that for, for our course, we, you know, and I am kind of moving a bit more towards that, that, that there is, a lot more of that kind of consistency and and that can still be done by staying true to like using like wild yeast and and, and blending um but it, it's all about kind of like working now we're working with a like this local lab company here that's uh to you know really start diving deep into the into the metrics of of all of all you know like ph titratable acidity like you know tracking all of that kind of throughout the the entire fermentation and maturation so we can kind of use data points on as well as our palate to to really kind of lock that in and i think that's going to be super important and also just using larger larger vessels like you know sure so and you said something about being true to cider I assume. Is there a line beyond which you will not cross that then crosses the spectrum of cider? In other words, you know, a lot of the cider companies that you mentioned earlier on have gone berry and pear and peach and every other fruit imaginable. And it's on a crash course with all of these other canned and bottled forms of alcohol ranging from, you know, the Smirnoff brand to the Picardi brands, everything that is a spirit Mm -hmm. now in sort of a a compact one use format. Um, is there, is it important to you that certain boundaries are stayed within in this world? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think like kind of the big one for me is, is making sure that we're, we're sticking to our like hundred percent apple, real apple, like not using concentrates, not buying like apple wine and then diluting it. Um, that, that to me is super important. I think that's a hill I'll, I'll like die on uh, for sure. And in the same way of like not using kind of artificial flavors or, or stuff like that, like, you know, there's this trend to, to make like a, you know, hundred percent or less like light cider that's, you know, 3% and, you know, less than 90 calories. And, and I just don't, I don't want to do that. Like it's like, I'm not in it to be, to be making, like these, these types of things, like it's funny, like I'm sure I could be making a lot, I could be very popular and making a lot more money if I didn't have these, these kind of like specific values. Um, Cause we could be buying really cheap 
like apple wine and adding water to it and some flavors and some color and sell it for, for, you know, a lot of money and, and, you know, have 30 to 40% of it just water. Um, but it's just not something that I, that I want to do. I want to be able to like be proud of what I'm making. And, uh, to me, that's super important. Like, uh, and, and just to be able to show it, you know, there's, I think a bit of ego, but just to be able to like ship some to friends that are in the industry around the world and have them be like, damn, this is good. You know, like that, that to me is, uh, is kind of important. So. I, I assume that you've done that and you've got the blessing from, from some of your perhaps mentors from the past. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also just like, you know, we've, I've entered some products into like the world's largest like cider and Perry competition. And, and we've won a bunch of like silvers and bronzes. So like, to me, that's been, again one of those like oh hey look look at that so i am on the the right path because it is a bit uh a bit like isolating here in calgary like there isn't a you know there's a few guys that are starting up here but you don't have that depth of like the okanagan or or even like the pacific northwest where you can literally drive like an hour and hit 10 15 cideries and uh and then, you know, be able to kind of rift and also usually around those areas, there's a lot of wineries and a lot of other craft producers. And so you, you're able to kind of like talk to people that are you doing like mine, um, production. Like we, yes, there's a lot of breweries around here, but it's a very different model of like brewing and, you know, releasing a new, something new or something similar, like every two weeks, like ours is on a, like a yearly, uh, on a yearly path really. Talked about a couple of great things there that I want to dive into a bit. First of all, the um, the isolation or the uniqueness of you as being not just a cidery, but a craft cidery. And I think you said the first in Western Canada or Canada or Alberta. What was the specific? Alberta. So that was a risk. That was a bit of a gamble. And yet uh, the business side of you must have seen that there was an opportunity there. Was and is cider a, a growing space in the alcoholic beverage category yeah very much so um i think uh you know you you look looking at it like right now beer is kind of i'm kind of flat at the moment like there's a bit of growth definitely in, in craft but the overall like beer segment is actually pretty stagnant um and that's because a lot of people are kind of moving over to to cider or or wine or now into like the seltzers um and people are very much more keyed into local and and also have other requirements like gluten-free and you know have knowing where things are sourced and and i think that to me has been super important and you just see the growth to me like cider is probably five years behind craft beer in a lot of ways so um on just customer perception on market penetration and on just like general like knowledge so you know every every time someone calls or or comes in and, and says they want to start a Saturday, like I'm very happy to talk to them and, and, and give them like the time to, to kind of like explain how, how it was to start and how, you know, how hard it was to deal with the AGLC for, for a product that they've never had in this, in this province before. Um, and cause I think like the more of us that are making, you know, craft full juice cider, the better, um, because it's just, it raises the awareness, um, for everyone. It's like that saying of like, you know, high tide raises all ships. Um, it's the same in this model. And I think it's the same even just on a, on the level of the, the barley belt. 
the more that the, there's popular places around here. No one just comes to one place. Um, and to me, it's been super important to work with all of those breweries here to make a product for them that is different. So if you're on a tour and you, you know, like yourself with a bunch of people that do drink beer and you're there and being like, Oh man, I really don't think I can have another kombucha or a ginger beer or a soda because that's all they have. Um, you can kind of come and be like, Oh wow. I'm, like it's a different cider at every swap. So you kind of have that same experience too. You, you nailed a couple of really important trends that have been happening. The rise of cider as an alternative and it was interesting that you pointed out that it, the, the driver isn't those who, who, who want uh, an alcoholic beverage that doesn't contain gluten, but this overall trend away from beer and, and into new places. And then the other trend, of course, the local tourism, where whether it's Calgary or Vancouver, wherever, um, more and more people gravitating towards things made by hand by local proprietors. Did you see that as a, a coming um, positive in your direction? Was that part of your decision to to start something up here, or was it just kind of luck that, that you collided with that force? No, it was it was very much uh, a trend that I I saw um, being able to have that that connection with like the person that's actually making it or the person that's growing it. It uh, forms such a strong bond where like you you know, everyone's a bit more invested. Uh, it's not just like going and buying this, you know, the perfectly shaped produce from a store and not really understanding that like, yeah, you can get it year round, but that doesn't mean it, it grows here year round. Uh, you look at and stuff now and like people are like traveling um, specifically to go and eat and drink things um, because they've seen it either on Instagram or heard of it through people that have gone before. And I really wanted to tap into that as well. What have been some of the, the challenges you've overcome? Some some bits of wisdom you can pass along to entrepreneurs, not just those wanting to start a cidery. You know, the amount of times that I was told never to do this and like to you know start something in an area that doesn't have it before was foolish. Um, you know, like if you if you see that there's a market for that and and maybe it's only you and a, someone else that sees it, like it's still worth doing it, even if like even if it doesn't succeed, there's, there's so many lessons in there that you can kind of take on the next thing. Like, I think my biggest takeaway would be like, you know, no, nothing's ever a failure that can't be come back from, uh, for, for our first keg product in Alberta, we were promised it would go in refrigeration. And so, you know, our products are slightly back sweetened and, uh, unfortunately it wasn't refrigerated. And so, you know, we had, uh, 4,000 liters of cider and cake start re-fermenting and, and we had to do a huge recall and it was, you know, would have been, should have been this big crowning moment of, of like, Hey, you know, here we are, we're in, we're in Alberta. We have like cider and kegs, you know, huge new format. And instead it was like a apology tour of like going around and, and trying to deal with like upset accounts because like, you know, our cider was foaming and it, you know, and, and returns and, and having to like recall, everything and fix it and then find processes and uh you know that that could have really just made me stop right there but instead it was just like okay well you know you know it, it would have been easy for me to blame someone else and be like you know it was, it's not my fault they promised me refrigeration and they never did it but instead it was just like a matter of like okay well like there's a lesson don't don't really expect anything from everyone 
make sure that like what you do is is the most important and true because once it leaves your hands unfortunately you you have no control over what happens to it and so um and also just don't like don't quit at all like i don't know i my saying here is always like change the world or die trying so that's kind of how i look at things you know lean into those really hard days because they're going to come like there's no you know this this isn't one of those things when you start something like this one you're a bit crazy like you know the idea for me of like doing a nine to five and and like turning off and then going home like right now sounds kind of like appealing but i also know that i've done that in the past and it's it's like to me that that sucks and and so like you're gonna have a lot of hard days and a lot of things that uh that like really question what you're doing and why you're doing it and those are totally valid um i think this whole idea of like the hustle culture and always being on it doesn't help like you need to be like be okay with being emotional sometimes because like that doesn't that actually just broadens the entire spectrum of who you are and and what kind of company you start and the people that you have around you that's awesome advice thanks what about accounts you know i met you in covid we're talking now during covid and i think when you mentioned when we talked the first time you said that business had actually picked up you know uh, and maybe now it's it's leveled off i'd like you to talk a little bit about that 80 percent of our wholesale uh were kind of bars and restaurants uh and those just like overnight dried up which was uh it's been scary uh to think of and to kind of like on the fly kind of change how how you how we're doing sales and how how we we want to kind of like get things into into customers hands so um so you know covid happened and internally we talked about whether like we were going to do uh like an online and delivery and there was a lot of pushback on that because a lot of people were like well no we'll just be we're using skip dishes we can keep doing that like let's like let's not let's not be you know go into areas that we don't know very well and i kind of turned around and pushed to to quickly pivot to having an online store and being able to uh um to be able to sell things and and that it took us a bit longer than a few other of the areas around here to start but like i leaned on some friends from uh, from back in the day in college when we were doing multimedia that kept doing uh video and uh and web where i didn't and uh, another good friend that's a photographer and over three days we we built a, a website from scratch pretty much and shot all the the uh all the products and uh, and got it going and that's been hugely successful for us and it's been a whole different kind of idea of like you know logistically kind of managing orders and deliveries and all that and you know we're about to launch canada-wide um retail so you know people can come onto our website and order cider and then we'll ship it to, to anyone in canada uh which is a big deal so pretty excited for that and i think post covid i think uh you know, some of these things are here to stay, um, which I'm excited about uh, because I think it, it's going to change how people shop in ways and and it's going to change people's perspective of like actually looking for local. Like that's been the thing that I've heard a lot is, is a lot of people are like, well, you know, like, you know, we know that people locally are having a harder time. So we like have gone searching out for like local cider and local like spirits and local food and 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 so you know it's opened a lot of people's eyes instead of them just kind of sticking to what they normally do 
Um, and, and all these local places are doing deliveries as well, which has been super helpful. So, yeah, I hear the I think, same thing from everybody that I talk to here running the gamut from clothing to coffee to, you know, smoothies to you. It's, it's almost like, and I, I couldn't agree more. It's here to stay. There are so many business processes that we just got entrenched so for generations in habit. And it's mm-hmm. funny that, you know, the most primitive of all distribution channels, the thought of a proprietor bringing his or her wares to a home is come full circle. I guess maybe that goes back to the local mentality. Maybe it's just that people, you know, want that convenience, which is of course part of it and skip the dishes and so on. But, you know, I agree and, and kudos to you for, for, for pushing back against the pushback. Otherwise you would never have discovered that, that kind of unlocked treasure chest. Yeah. And you know, it, it's been great. Cause you know, part of being able to do deliveries or following up with people. Cause I, I like kind of randomly messaging orders and be like, Hey, how is everything? And you know, you know, who, how did you hear from us? As a lot of people is like, Oh, we saw your Saturday on a zoom call with girlfriends or friends and like we're asking about it and they were raving. And so like we decided to order it and I'm pretty sure like 15 to 20% of our, our online sales right now are with new customers. And that to me is a huge thing. Like I'm so excited for like when we can actually have a tap room and people can come in and I can wax poetically for hours about how cider is made and, you know, like get all excited and, and the dog can say hi to everyone because I think she's really missing uh, everyone coming in. And yeah, I think I'm, I'm excited for that. I think uh, when things really open up again, I think we're going to see this huge outpouring of, of a lot of like fun support, I think, and just seeing people. How important is that location to you and to your, your comrades in Barley Belt? You know, to me, it's just such a tight-knit community. We talked at the beginning how I was introduced to Skunk Works by you, and I went to Skunk Works, and they were just, you know, ringing endorsements of Brody and Uncommon. I, I haven't yet gotten to the other six or eight places located out there, but it's really cool that it sort of happened organically, and it's become this magnet to like-minded, like-minded people, and yet people that are as your brand name suggests, uncommon in the way they do things. Mm-hmm. How important is that? I think it's, it's been amazing. And I like, I took a lot longer to, to kind of find this space. And I was really picky about where I wanted to be. I think, you know, I, I've been looking for all three years of us kind of operating um, in, in and around Calgary to find like the location and, uh, and ended up landing on this one, which, uh, hilariously i used to work in um before uh when it was a coffee equipment company uh i was doing sales and helping with warehousing so i've been in this in that exact bay oh yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) so yeah and actually like there's photos like from years ago before all this started of like me using the back area pressing uh like pressing cider in this bay back when it was eight ounce coffee. So yeah, it's really fun full circle. <laughs> That's a um, coincidence, wow. But for me, it's been, it's always been one of those things where it's, it is a, a five minute walk or less than to the train station. Um, when Cardigo was here, it was in the Cardigo area. So people could, you know, drive here and leave the Cardigo and, and, and go. It's walkable to, you know, 14 other breweries. Um, and it's so close to downtown. Um, yet, 
you know, you have that kind of industrial feel to it. Uh, to me, it is super, super important in this area. Do you feel like you're part of something bigger in terms of the, the future of Calgary? You know, there's been a lot of debate, especially these last six painful years and then another downward spiral you know, coincidental with COVID striking and the crash of oil yet again, how we must diversify. Do you feel, are you conscious of that, that you're doing your part, that, that you're, you're part of this vast quilt work of entrepreneurs trying to fan this little fire to blow up and become more of a diverse economical city than we ever were? Does that strike you at all? Or is that just sort of, well, if it happens, it happens. I just love making cider. No, I like, you know, cider kind of came, became the thing for that. But I think that's been an important part of it from day one. Like I, when I moved back to, to Canada from England, I moved here because my, my dad was here. So it was an easy like starting off point. But my, my kind of like plan was always to kind of move back to, to BC. Um, and you know, it wasn't until I started realizing how, how interesting and how like the city doesn't have a lot compared to a lot of other major cities, but it has a lot of people that have traveled and come back and been like, man, I want to make this city better. And I have so many friends that have started companies and, and, you know, and, and have started things. And like, there's this kind of mentality here of like, yo, we can do this. We can make this better. Like it doesn't have to be this city that is like always just a bit like, eh, it's okay. You know, like, but have you been to, you know, the, these other places around the world? Cause they're way better. It's kind of like, yeah, I have been there, but I'm going to like make this into this place. And, and that to me has always been that way. And that's, that's been the really exciting bit about this is, is being able to find a vehicle that is a cider company to kind of propel that in a way and have all my friends that have started things that, you know, are, stuff like you know monogram coffee or eight ounce coffee or um you know like rain dog bar or or even just like drew next door with the the clothing manufacturer i i met him before when he owned a like a, a men's clothing store on fourth street and then like kind of changed directions and now does this and you know there's so many people that i know that have started things here that are all like in my age or or even younger that just like are we're all kind of like yeah it's not awesome but it can be and to me that's been the best thing and yeah yes there's like has been a lot of people with money here which potentially helps but i don't think it it's the be all and end all to me it's more about like the this kind of young population that is willing to like really change things and to like change it from the inside and and because i think a lot of us have traveled and somehow found our way back here. So you've got some nice little tailwinds behind you with some of the trends we talked about earlier on, um, grow, growing cider demand and localism. You're clearly passionate about what you do and you're developing every day, I'm sure, a, a heightened level of expertise. And, and you're doing all this against the, the headwind of this COVID pandemic and found a way to navigate through that. So what would success look like to you in five years? If you've, I'm sure you have as an entrepreneur, you've probably got this dreamscape in your mind of where Uncommon could be in five years. Oh, fully. A audacious uh, picture I, and, a, and a realistic picture. What does that look like? So the, the like audacious big growth one would be we, you know, Uncommon has its own orchard in BC. We have uh, like a second outpost out there that's producing 
there as well. Um, that allows us to really own like, you know, from, from like tree all the way into, you know, from tree to table really. Um, and it allows us to kind of experiment even more on a farm level uh, and through all of that. Um, and then we have, you know, in common here, we kind of develop into a larger, few larger bays. I'd love to have like a proper tap room with a kitchen. To me, I think it'd be really fun to have a couple more places. Like I think Edmonton would be great to have like a, you know, an uncommon outpost and, and, you know, in, in Ontario, like kind of find those areas that have like big apple regions and, and then start another uncommon there. Um, and then build that local again, you know, instead of trying to build something here that it's like massive and then shipping all, all over the country. So that to me is like kind of the ultimate goal is, you know, we have three, the four locations that all kind of like have different apple supplies and you know and different teams that are all kind of working together and, and what would you like to hear people say if, if you were to uh, be a fly on a wall and and a couple of people come into either a bar or a liquor store uh, debating over what product to buy and someone pulls out some of yours what what would signal to you that I've arrived when they describe this product in that way? I think part of it would just be someone being like, you know, I was, I'm not a cider drinker. I don't like cider, but like, I really like this. You should try this one. You know, that, that starter being like, Oh, I didn't think I like cider, but like, I like this one. Like you should, that whole idea of like, because I think a lot of people just write cider off instantly. And until like people start experiencing it and learning and also just, maybe even hearing someone go like, you know, it's been pretty impressive to see how the, this company is like grown and expanded how cider is perceived and how it's made, like using like new, new kind of production methods and also like really pulling from other areas of, of, of winemaking or brewing or, or other kind of industries and, and creating something unique or one might say uncommon. One might and one would be correct. Let's uh, wrap up by giving you a chance to tell us how we can get it uh, today and even after we're given more freedom to move around. And what are some of the flavors or profiles or, or more uh, popular types that you would recommend? Well, I think the cider that I'm the most pumped about right now is, is the YYC 2018 that uh, we're about to release here in the next week or so. Um, it's, it's kind of really exciting on a couple of levels. Like first, if this is the, the most truest Calgary product and Calgary cider that's ever been made, like, and the first, like we've used all local fruit. It's all natively fermented using like all of that. And uh, we're bottling it in 750 mil bottles. So it's, it's something that's like kind of elevating. It's a new package for, for us. And so it's one of, it's a perfect kind of thing to bring and share with a couple of people. And, uh, and then we're, we have some really cool stuff coming out uh, in cans. Uh, one of which is going to be a, a new uh, gym botanical cider that we're um, about this time around we're using with confluences spent gin. And so like they have a lot more kind of rose and, uh, and like citrus notes um, in their gin. And so that's actually coming through quite well in, in the cider. And, uh, and then like we're doing a big change of slowly moving over to cans for everything. So, um, so right now, like we have 500 mil bottles and you can find those in 
uh, Sobeys and co-op liquor stores and liquor depots and on our website and in our tap room. And uh, yeah, we have about four or five new kind of releases coming down the pipeline in the next, uh, in the next month or so. And then of course, uncommon.com. Yeah, uncommon.com. Uncommon Uncommon Save me a six pack of the uh, 2018 YYC or YYC 2018. That sounds cool. Yeah, I'm, you know, it's, I, I bottled one off just to try it with some people and, and get some, you know, some tasting notes. And yeah, it was pretty impressed to see everyone being like, oh man, this, this is amazing. And, and that, that to me was like one of those moments of like, you know, mind blowing, like blowing other people's minds um, is kind of fun. And coming right from Calgary apple trees. That is yeah. such a fantastic story. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, Brody, I want to thank you so much for spending the time and uh, give us some background story on how this came about and where you're going. It's super exciting and love the brand, love what you stand for, and um, in quite a biased way, love the product as well. <laughs> Thanks. Um, yeah, it's been a massive pleasure to, to be able to like sit down and, and talk you know, at a distance uh, in these times uh, about, about cider and even just like... Uh, you know, the, the exciting things that are happening in Calgary. And, and for anyone listening that wants to go and visit your door, um, I think pretty much always has been open, conforming, of course, with the, uh, the regulations and the guidelines. And one of the things I like about you, Brody, is the two times that I've been there, you've always been happy to talk, um, particularly side of you or just geeked out about it. And the, that passion that you speak with and express yourself with just comes through in every pore. I've, I've certainly enjoyed the product and enjoyed speaking with you too. So thank you. Thank you. Really appreciate it. Brody Thomas, founder, chief apple presser of Uncommon Cider. As you heard, his much anticipated batch of cider made of apples grown from Calgary trees is days away from delivery. If you want some, head to uncommoncider.com. Better yet, drop by his uncommonly decorated tap room in Calgary's Barley Belt where the apple is upheld to a sacrosanct status not seen since the Garden of Eden. Only consuming these ones is encouraged. Stay safe and healthy, and thanks for making us your background noise. It really means a lot.